through this winter's retreat. Speaking in conventional terms of time, something that begins, ends, The emphasis on this retreat is this uh, is like an empowerment, uh, a sense of encouragement, uh, trusting in awareness. Words like this often not might seem, you know, senseless to some people. To people, what can I trust? And uh, the mind, the thinking mind or emotions change and fluctuate so quickly that, uh, you know, one moment you're really eager and enthusiastic, the next moment you can be totally depressed and averse. Obviously, emotional, your emotions you can't trust, thoughts you can't trust. They say, trust the teacher. Can't trust me either. (laughs) And you can trust uh, the tradition. You can't trust that either. Where can you put your trust in? And so, like, when we look outward and then what what happens you know we, we, we try to find uh, somebody or something that we can cling to in some way and give us a sense of security or inspiration or faith but then they and that's fine and you know that's what we all do in the beginning but then they Encouragement is learning to trust in the awareness. And when we contemplate time, there's only the here and now. Now, the idea of <coughs> working hard to uh, 
attain something in the future, that's another thing you can't trust. Or you might think, well, we don't have to do anything, just be here and now. Uh, and then you cling to that. But you can't trust that either. So that the only thing left when you remove all the things that one can cling to, good ideas, right views, opinions, uh, excellent traditions, great and wise teachers, good friends, and all the rest of what's left is the awareness. So that's like the thoughts, the emotions, everything. We, they, we can be aware. A sense of imminent presence. Then, then this attitude of conviviality, of course, is a, is a fun word. Because, uh, we, we've never thought of monastic life as convivial. It's a new, new way of looking at it. Think of it as, uh, you know, serious dedication to precepts, uh, morality, uh, high standards of conduct, practice, and serious application, no mucking about. You get your happiness in the jhanas. but not in the common room. <laughs> so that can also be very impressive, you know, in, in terms of uh, uh, that has a certain appeal. And we all want to apply ourselves. None of us want to just fritter away our lives and lay about and just be present and happy. <laughs> content and grateful that if we grasp that idea then it, it you know it sounds like well what's the point of anything you know what, what, what is this all about so this is where they you know no matter how you put it you know how you phrase things or what concepts one uses they have their limitations so sometimes you, you you can emphasize you know seriousness, dedication, commitment, responsibility, uh, words that uh, you know that's uh, emphasizing uh, these kind of ideals, and then you might next time letting go of all that, trusting in awareness, being present, conviviality. But if you grasp either one, what happens? You know, if you grasp the idea of conviviality, uh, just being here and now, not going anywhere, not having to do anything, just awaken and feel the joy of being, and then uh, you grasp the idea of it, what happens? <coughs> so this is where you can't trust the thinking at all as uh, you know thoughts are very limited 
ideas, ideals, concepts, perceptions, consciousness, all this is, has its limitations. Because they're concocted, they're sankharas, and they, they change and come and go, arise and cease. And so this we we begin to awaken to that this is the natural way of things. So then in uh, monastic life the it's like learning to to um, living we you know, we choose to live this way, so this is the a conventional this is a conventional form that we uh, gives us a, a, a quality to the conventional realm. If we take it in a personal way, then of course it's uh, you know I have to be a very good monk, and I have I compare myself to others, and and uh, look at it through ideals and personal uh, perceptions. Then of course it it uh, can be a very burdensome way to live. You know, idea of limitation, of celibacy, of of uh, lack of freedom, not being able to do what you want. Uh, you think one can see it always as some kind of oppressive form that one conforms to and bind oneself to. Uh, as a person. So that recognize that on a personal level and it can seem oppressive. And I remember my first uh, few years in Wat Bapong with Lung Pacha, I felt suffocated half the time. This, this whole thing is suffocating me because of the, just the, the restraint and the limitation placed on my personal desires and habits. So that that's, uh, the personality was, was uh, you know, frustrated. Personally and emotionally, I felt a lot of frustration with it. <clears throat> but then the... Obviously there was something more than just my personality operating. You know, the thing that drew me into this realm and that wasn't just a, a personal whim or just some kind of bright idea that I had. There was a, obviously something more to it than, than just some personal fantasy. So then there's a, something even in spite of feeling suffocated and rebellious and critical and and desperate sometimes. Uh, there were also many things that were very enjoyable about it. Monastic life is also a beautiful, even on the conventional level, has a, a style and beauty to it. So then one could swing between being inspired and being uh, depressed by by just how your personal one's personal mood happened to be at the time. But underlying that is the awareness, the intuitive awareness. 
enjoying the life. This is, you know, how to enjoy monastic life. And of course, you know, I can convince you, you know, I can say, you know, it's a beautiful way to live. It's, uh, it's so pure and good and it has long tradition dating back to the time of the Buddha. I can give, you know, I can give a, a kind of, uh, uh, lecture on how wonderful the holy life is and some of you feel very inspired by it. And, Many of you might even decide, those of you who haven't committed yourself to monastic form, would maybe want to think seriously about becoming monks or nuns through the inspiration. <laughs> so that is, uh, that's uh, using language to inspire and uplift and express a, per- a particular angle or aspect of the, of this convention mm-hmm. but then like any convention it also has its unpleasant side mm-hmm. and this is where we have to you know you've got to let go of your personal whims and and obey the rules and train practice uh and cultivate and develop and uh, uh, be responsible, accountable, and on and on like this, then that that can get into the heavy hard line, you know. So you see yourself, one I can see myself kind of going between, you know, inspiration, and then then I can get also get very hard line about the life, you know. You know, not to be lazy, not to just fritter away your time. To really, you know, dedicate yourself, make a strong commitment, uh, sacrifice yourself. Don't be selfish, and get into to that kind of. Well, that's another aspect. Mm. Or then we can think, well, it doesn't matter whether you're a monk, uh, nun, or lay person. Enlightenment is now. Enlightenment doesn't depend on the convention. Seeing the truth, ultimate reality, certainly can never be dependent on any convention. So why, why commit yourself to something, uh, you know, if you can, if you don't have to, you know? <laughs> and, uh, the, you know, one can make a good case for, uh, just be mindful and live an ordinary life. But on, you know, these are very, very, just reflecting on various attitudes or ways of uh, pointing to different possibilities or different ways of looking at it. But then, uh, then the way is through awareness through this awakened attention, through reflection, witnessing, observing, opening, relaxing. So in a sense of conviviality, is, is a, we're, we're just saying relax. Let the, you know, don't try 
don't try, so, some of you try so hard, uh, you know, and you put enormous amounts of effort into practice, and a very serious, very dedicated, and, and those are quite you know, admirable traits, actually. But in the process, in getting caught up in that, then the, you forget to relax and to trust. And to and and to uh, not make this life into an endless kind of challenge for you, or something that you're always failing at, that you that is a that makes you think into despair when you when you can't kind of keep it going to the intensity that you think you should. When, when I keep saying trust yourself, I'm not, this is not meaning any opinion or view. But this, uh, it's beginning to, to recognize that that's the only thing you can trust is the awareness from the point that you're sitting right now. Because that's all there ever is, isn't it? Like I'm sitting here right now. If I, go and sit on the floor I'm still the point it never changes isn't it? wherever I go back to my cootie into London or Mount Kailash that's the the holy mountain Axis Mundi of the world and uh, when I go to Mount Kailash then uh, that's where it'll happen <laughs> or the Bodhi tree in Bulgaria So these are, these are, you know, not to dismiss the, those kind of uh, perceptions as, as, you know, on faults or unnecessary, but the important message that they, of reflecting is that it's always here and now. This is where the trust is from this point. What can I trust right now? And it doesn't seem like anything because I can't find anything to trust. There's nothing that nothing can't find anything. So I give up trying to find something, and that's trusting. It's not like, you know, a desire trying to see desire. Or, you know, you're trying to find yourself, your real self. Where is my real self? Where am, you know, what is really me, my true self? And, you know, then, like, like you know, one time I remember, you know, I couldn't find my glasses. I kept looking around for them and then realized that I was wearing them. <laughs> it's, uh, that's one, one example. Or seeing your own eyes. You know, that's another one I give. You know, how do I know that I have eyes? I can't even see them. 
and to believe that I really have eyes, I have to, I, you know, I have to see them, which is rather ridiculous, isn't it? So it's just the simple act of seeing is enough. What my eyes look like right now doesn't really matter. Uh, you know, the fact that I can't see them is, I can create a problem around that if I want it. But the, the, the matter really amounts to that the seeing is, a, is, is enough. It's that you don't need to know what your eyes look like or be able to see them as some object in order to be sure that you have eyes. So this awareness isn't, isn't something you can find uh, and uh, get hold of and, and then feel, now I've got awareness, it's this. It's uh, recognition, it's like this. So being conscious, this realm is is, a, is the experience of consciousness, uh, and this consciousness is is, is uh, like consciousness depends on a form. So the form is the physical body, the conscious form, and that's uh, that is. Uh, so this is the point of consciousness here. The axis mundi. Mount Kailash is right here. So even if the Chinese won't let me go this time, I still doesn't really matter because I'm already there. <laughs> and an old political system can uh, stop it. And they can stop me from physically going to, to the mountain. So when you when you start, you know, looking for outside yourself, the things, uh, you know, looking, you know, then, then of course you, you know, that's the desire. The desire always has this this quality of of searching for something. If you notice, if you just observe how desire works, it, it's always aiming for something, a womb to get born into, anything. You know, so if you're just caught in desire, then, you know, you're desperate, you'll, you'll be reborn as anything. You know, if you're really heedless, you, you, you know, you get terrible rebirths because you, you're not, you're not discriminate enough to seek a good, good place to be reborn. I'm not talking about next lifetime, this this lifetime. If we, when we just are caught in the momentum of desire, then we, you know, it just it will seek some object to, to, for rebirth in the present, something to absorb into. Desire dhanha is a natural condition. You know, it's part of this realm, this desire realm. So, this is another thing to to be able to to know desire, because des- a desire can't know desire. So obviously, your true nature is not desire. Otherwise, you wouldn't get any perspective on it. But because desire is 
is a condition that arises and ceases in consciousness, then we, we can observe it. We can know desire. Desires like this. So that if we desire to know desire, then we're attached to the idea of knowing desire. So this is where the trust comes in, isn't it? Trusting in the experience when desire desires present and know it's like this, which is not a in any way a judgment. It's a just recognition. Desire doesn't always necessarily mean something bad. Desire to be good. Desire to uh, be a, a useful member of this community. Desire to to achieve, attain enlightenment. Always you know, rather oftentimes very noble desires. It always is just for sex or for eating a lot of good things or just to go out and have a good time. It's a, it's a desires range, you know, have the whole gamut from A to Z uh, in terms of being good and bad. So the desire isn't something that we get rid of, but something we know because it's, a, it's an object. Desire can be recognized, can be known, can be observed, can be felt. And when you when you know desire, then you you're you know it's no longer something that that you uh, would tend to grasp out of ignorance, because if you know, like they use they use the uh, metaphor of fire you know if you go around grasping fire it hurts so you know it doesn't take it only takes one time you know you touch the flame and and so you don't do it again (laughs) because it's not that uh, even though it's beautiful you know we look at the flames on the candles and fire is beautiful warm Light, isn't it? It's attractive. One is attracted to the light, to the fire, to the beauty of of the flame. But then to grasp it hurts. So a relationship to to the fire then is one of appreciation and and uh, recognition and non-grasping. So desire then is, is is seen in that way. It's like fire. When you grasp it, you get burned. If you don't, then it's no problem. The desire for enlightenment then is can be recognized without being condemned. The aspirations we have then are seen as light rather than as as ideas that we grasp. The traditions, the the uh, that that we're in then can be seen as 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 helpful and useful and good uh, conditions uh, that help that that can be used skillfully for awareness rather than as something we grasp. Notice that the grasping of desire or of conditioned phenomena always limits us 
You know, when we grasp out of ignorance, then we, we limit ourselves endlessly to, to uh, oftentimes very uh, inadequate things, conditions, so that when we're, when like completely ignorant person, one who doesn't reflect or is not aware, tends to just endlessly be caught in fear and strong views and opinions and anger and resentment and uh, anxiety and worry. Because even the, the joy of life, uh, if, if we're still caught in ignorance, uh, then we, you know, we want it. We want to get more of it. And then by grasping that, then we, we destroy it. And so even the beauty of, of this realm can be completely uh, dismissed, can be completely uh, extinguished for us through the endless grasping at it, trying to own it, trying to keep it for oneself, get more of it. And then when we can't do that, then we get depressed and we see everything from the, from the dark side, how miserable it all is, how disappointing, how, uh, you know, disillusioned one has become with this realm. Life is no good, it's just a cheat, isn't it? it you end up just getting old, thick and deaf. There's no meaning, no purpose. There's no God, no afterlife. It's just, you know, just a, a pointless, meaningless, depressing experience because the, the grasping of those ideas. Reflecting then is sati sampatanya. Sati means the you know is the ability to bring in to just notice. It's like this. The breath is like this. So like anapanas, mindfulness of the breath. You it's focusing on something that that is happening right now. That it's not not about tomorrow or. We're not comparing, you know, about having an ideal way of breathing. It's not a matter of trying to attain a certain ability to breathe in a certain way. It's not pranayama. And mindfulness of the breath is like this. So even if you're a terrible breather, it doesn't matter. You just observe, you know, begin to just use even your inadequate breathing as a focus to bring you into the present. Or the posture of the body, the, the physical body. You can, there's more attention to the body as experience, to its uh, sensations, to its energies, the actual experience of, of the, the body as it is. Is then we're, at least we're present with it. When we judge it, yeah, according to ideas of what the body should be like, then we're no longer with it anymore. We're, 
we're, we're criticizing it in some way, trying to make it into something that's not. So these, the, the, you know, with, with this satipatthana, this, this anapanasati and gayanupasana, vedananupasana, titanupasana, tamanupasana, satipatthana, these are just pointers, there's a ways of, they look right now, it's like this. Then the, through, through uh, recognition of the impermanence, unsatisfactoriness of sankharas, like anicca and dukkha, isn't it? These are, it's, it's a recognition, it's not a, it's not a, a, uh, a value judgment. Even the word dukkha is not a judgment against sankhara. Well, we can, if we grasp the idea that everything's dukkha, then we're judging. Isn't it? It's a judgment we're making. All sankharas are nothing but misery and suffering. The body, uh, the senses, uh, desire, it's all dukkha. That's a, that's a judgment, isn't it? A value judgment you're making. But, uh, in the three characteristics, the, it's not a judgment, it's recognition of, say, the, that sankharas are like this. They're relentlessly changing. And so that their, their nature is unsatisfying, you know, to, to try to seek satisfaction in, in the sankharas or in the desire realm. It will be, um, impossible because the very nature of sankhara is change. And therefore, it, it, its nature is unsatisfactory. And there's nothing wrong with that. That's the way they're supposed to be. That's perfect. Sankaras are unsatisfactory, and that's perfect. We don't, we have, we can give up trying to find perfection in a, in a sankara because it, we, we want it to totally satisfy us. Because it can't do that. But the knowing of this, this is where we, the encouragement to trust in this knowing, this awakened attention. And then we realize anatta. So then anatta is not just a, another way we convince ourselves that we don't exist. You know, I, I don't really exist. I have no self, and that is not not a, an attempt to to uh, hold to the view of anatta, but anatta, the re- the recognition of anatta is like nibbana, non-grasping. We no longer need to find ourselves or hold to any idea or perception of self. Because the sankharas, any of those are sankharas, they drop away, they're unsatisfactory. But it's not a logic, isn't it? It's not, not, not a, using logic in this, but it's using insights, trusting in the insights. 
So then, not having any self is like this. And then that, that is the gate to the deathless, this recognition, realization. So then we can see all sankaras, their very nature is to, they're always, all of them, the good ones, the bad ones, they're all pointing at the deathless if you let them you know so there's nothing wasted nothing that shouldn't be anger, hatred sexual desire lust and greed selfishness pride, conceit fears despair, depression the whole lot you know if you they're all pointing at the deathless if we allow them, they allow, if we stay with anything, with sankaras long enough, totally in accepting it, rather than resisting, judging, or, or just uh, creating more about it than what it is, they all cease. And in the cessation, it isn't, it isn't, a, you know, cessation then is, is anatta. What's left is the awareness when a condition ceases the awareness is still operating this, so this you can trust things change and, and things begin and end come and go that's their nature sape sankarani cha sape tama anatta sape tama old tama is is anatta. So even the sankaras are anatta. Unconditioned, the amatta dhammas, anatta. You know, so that the, the, this this is the recognition of the deathless, nibbana, liberation from ignorance. Then, here and now, sound of silence. The sound of the, the wind, the storm. In the, after the morning puja, I like to go and listen to the sound of the birds waking up in the garden. You know. It's rather, it's to the, tune in the sound of silence and then the sound of the birds very peaceful just to be with the flow of life and then oh sound of birds is impermanent then it's dukkha I'm <laughs> a real serious vipassana practicer <laughs> dead serious if I listen and enjoy the sound of the birds, I might get attached and be reborn as a bird next life. <laughs> so that, isn't it? I made a problem about what is just natural the way it is, uh, because I have some idea that 
that beauty, love, truth, you know, or beauty and love, these are dangerous, aren't they? You get attached, and then you'll be reborn again. You know, if I attach to beauty and love, I'll probably, you know, those are rather grand, you know, beautiful things, uh, you know, they're on the positive side, so I deserve a rebirth as a Devada of some sort. Mm. You know, that because, and, but that, you know, we, that's also not enlightenment. De- being born as a Devada is not the Buddha's teachings. And uh, we're going for the real thing. You know, Nibbana, extinction. <laughs> so, so the heavy, the heavy, heavy numbers, you know, that say, we are aiming for extinction. We don't want to be reborn in Deva realms. They're impermanent. And there's Nietzsche Dukkha. And, the, and you just have to, you know, you probably end up being reborn after a Deva realm. You know, we could speculate, you know, born back into this one again have to go through primary school again (laughs) adolescence and all that This is the comical side of our tradition, isn't it? I mean, people love to speculate, you know, and get this hard-line approach about, you know, go for the real thing, total extinction. And that, that uh, you know, that also is, is uh, you know, that, that, that is a pretty nihilistic way of thinking. So when we look at beauty, love, you know, are these are these dangerous? If we see danger in them, then we it's because we we perceive them with uh, with a mind that that still wants to grasp, isn't it? That that wants to hold on with grasping, with desire and grasping, rather than with non-attachment. And yet, in samatha practices and so forth, it's, isn't it? The, the, the beauty is very much part of it. You know, developing, uh, uh, sukha, pity and happiness, rapture, happiness, beauty, metapavana, loving kindness, compassion, Sympathetic joy, upeka, equanimity. Mm. And if we attach to these, of course, then then they don't really, ex- you know, we we kill them. If we if we get attached to the idea of being compassionate, then actually we we smother, we put out the flame of compassion. So it compassion arises naturally. It's a part of this realm, you know. Loving kindness, love is, is natural to this realm. There's, uh, beauty. There's a beautiful realm. There's much, there's so much beauty in it. 
And so we, when we recognize the way it is, then there's no danger except through ignorance and attachment. So approaching this at the source, the source is right here and now, isn't it? This is the present moment. This is where I'm at right now. A relaxed attention, sound of silence. And then, then there's a sense of embracing, you know, everything belongs. The point that includes everything. Because all conditions, if we allow them, take us to the deathless. You know, that's the way it is. There, it's perfect. Pure presence is perfect. So, in in uh, this, this ignorance of icha, and then the out of that of icha, then whatever we perceive and experience is going to be affected by that ignorance. So this is like Paticca Samupada, dependent origination. We, we start from, if I start from ignorance, then the result will be suffering. So this, this I explored endlessly, you know, just through, through holding to views and opinions and, uh, holding, uh, believing the, the perceptions of myself as a kind of permanent person. Or holding to uh, whatever, you know, ideals, attachment to anything out of ignorance, then, then there's always this, this always takes you to, to this sense of unsatisfactoriness. It's going to disappoint. You feel betrayed. You feel let down. Or you feel you can't do it or you're not good enough. Well, you can't, you know, you're incapable. You're not wise enough. You don't have enough parami. These are ways of, of, uh, that we, 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 uh, attitudes that we can have through, through this attachment, ignorance and attachment. So if we start from ignorance, then even if we start meditation with ignorance, you know, trying to, get somewhere to attain enlightenment and all that then it it uh, what happens is that no matter how hard you try and how dedicated and serious and determined you 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 are and how much commitment you make to the life if it's still coming out of avicca then the result will be dukkha so the the directness of the teaching, ujupatipano, isn't it? Direct here and now. That this this is awakened awareness now that you trust. Getting back to that. So you're not starting from avicca, but from here and now. And this is where these, you know, like Anapanasati, Satipatthana, uh, with, you know, the reflection on the body as experienced now, that which is now, Jitanupasana, or the, 
the mood, the emotional quality that you're experiencing right now is like this. You're beginning to see your mood as a as an object, not a not no longer as a as the subject. If I'm in a bad mood, I'm in a bad mood. Then it sounds like I am a bad mood, doesn't it? That's me. But uh, you know, a bad mood. I can when when I there when I have in my experience a bad mood is a, an awareness of it. Bad moods like this. <laughs> if I was a bad mood, then I, I I couldn't do that. I'd just be the bad mood itself. But because. <laughs> Because uh, the bad mood is not me, you know, it is, it is what it is, and making no ownership of it, it then, then even a bad mood takes us to nibbana if we allow it. So nothing's wasted, you know. No, there's nothing in this universe or in the experience that we have as human beings in this sense realm that is. That, that shouldn't be. It's a matter of our willingness to trust and to allow the experience of life as, as, as we experience it through this axis mundi, through this point here, through consciousness. In whatever forms uh, it appears, you know, even if it's crazy or stupid or whatever, it's still you know, if we allow it, if we allow things to be what they are, then we we have we realize the way of non-self, emptiness, the deathless, nibbana, desirelessness, viraga. <clears throat> so then, they, some in the scriptures they call nibbana the highest happiness. And then when we get into words like highest, that, that throws me a bit, because then you think of Nibbana is kind of, even more kind of high than happiness, you know. It's uh, like it's uh, being really happy and being more happy than that. Or, <laughs> or is it, when they use the word highest, is that, you know, this... It's a happiness. It's a happiness. It's a transcending of happiness, or it's a, it's the natural state, the deathless that we that we that is our true nature. You know that we can't find, we can't become it, we can't uh, observe it, we can't, uh, uh, you know. Get our teeth into it. We have—it's an act of trust, of like being able to see. Don't need to see my eyes, because the eyes are seeing. I don't need to become anything, or find my true self. This is 
this is the true, you know, speaking in, in worldly terms, the true self is like this. I can't find anything there. It's like I can't see my eyes right now. But because I can't see my eyes doesn't mean I can't see. Or because I can't find my true self doesn't mean that that uh, that there that that's uh, that there's no you know that it's just a um, that looking for myself as as something is 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 no longer necessary. You don't need to know who you are or what you are because it's this. You're like this. Nothing. <laughs> and yet in that nothing includes everything, doesn't it? At this moment, that no thing includes everything that in this in this present moment. So this is this is the the uh, frustration of trying to figure it out with thought. So you can see, like the the self, very much the desire that how we create ourselves through desire. It's always looking for something more of this, less of that. Wants this, doesn't want that. Wants to you know, find the perfect situation, wants to be appreciated, wants to be, wants to get enlightenment, wants to get rid of the defilements, wants to be an impeccable monk, wants to, uh, doesn't want to upset anybody, wants to be responsible and accountable, and on and on like this, or, or the rebel, you know, to hell with the whole thing. Go out and drink and take drugs, have sex, have a good time. You know, really enjoy life. Life is a banquet. And so the, this, this is, you know, the self that, that wants to, to, to become something, you know, through an idea. So this, the real self then, is no self. Because you can't find it. Uh, you can only be. Trusting in this being then, is, uh, is budgetang. This is where to be known through your own recognition, realization. One of the beauties of monastic life that I've found is uh, contentment. It's, uh, you know, the the monastic form is, uh, you know, the requisites, the alms mendicancy, the this um, lifestyle is is, uh, you know, I find leads me to contentment. Because it's it's not a heavy demand on life. It's not demanding a lot from the material world or or anyone else. It's not uh, 
it's not aimed at, at that trying to get the best and the highest and the most beautiful and make everything perfect and, you know and try to perfect the world and and have the the highest standards it's the attitude of of the mendicant is content uh, is a learning to be content you know one doesn't have to struggle endlessly to try to to control and get things or get rid of things you know it's a it's a form for resting in or relaxing into it because we we don't need that much there isn't there isn't a lot that we we have to have you know that we can see how well we're provided for uh, here in the at Amravati you know the four requisites are sometimes over the top actually <laughs> but uh, that's that's fine too the abundance is all right <clears throat> because we're not ascetics we're not trying to 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 just uh, you know live on the on the edge of starvation and and uh, physical misery but if that comes then we can also be content with what we do get you know if things change and the economy collapses and nobody brings any dana and that what what will we do <laughs> and yet if we've we've trained ourselves in contentment then that's not really going to be a problem is it as we want to make it into one because we you know when one understands uh, and and it, and the expectations we have aren't high on the material plane then living in a community recognize the uh, the the joy of our life you know the the uh the way we live together support each other in this spiritual path and the 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 friendships we form the um, way we can we can help each other and uh, learn from each other where if we just see you know, my practice and then I want to get my if I get into my selfish mode my practice leave me alone and uh, uh, I'm here in order to get samadhi and and not to you know not to be caught up with a lot of people and endless problems of community so then we can you know we we can shut ourselves off but as we stop doing that then we can enjoy uh, our own humanity and our way of being then way of being with each other is quite respectful isn't it and honorable the the vinaya is a way of you know living together that has an enormous sense of of uh, integrity and respect for each other and the and the environment that we live in encourages that kind of attitude
So I offer this as a reflection for this evening. <laughs>